0: Mark Agronin, M.D., graduate of Harvard University and the Yale School of Medicine, is a board-certified adult and geriatric psychiatrist, and the author of the new book, The End of Old Age. Since 1999, Dr. Agronin has served as the Director of Mental Health Services, Clinical Research, and the Outpatient Memory Center at Miami Jewish Health. He's published essays in the New York Times and Scientific American Mind, and writes regularly on aging and retirement issues for the Wall Street Journal. On a personal note, I am pleased to add that Dr. Gronin is also a Today's Caregiver Magazine's Fearless Caregiver Advocate Award winner, which I presented him two years ago at our Miami Fearless Caregiver Conference held at the Miami Jewish Health System. Dr. Gronin, it's a pleasure to talk with you today.
1: Thank you so much. It's a real pleasure to be on this podcast and uh, so much admiration for your
0: programs. I have to tell you in reading The End of Old Age, it affected a paradigm shift in how I view aging now. And um and, and and positively, um, so that's a good thing. You state in the book that aging is the solution, not the problem. And I find that fascinating. Can you elaborate? I,
1: I make the point that if we only look at aging from the standpoint of decline and disease and its downside. It's no wonder that we only see it as a problem, as an impediment, as something that brings us down and gets in the way. But if we look at it in an equally scientific and accurate way that aging brings certain strengths with it, and I focus in the book on, on wisdom, on purpose and creativity, we realize that as we face adversity as we age, and need to solve problems, need to uh, expand relationships and other activities, that, that these strengths of aging become the solution to all of these issues. And it gives us a more balanced view of the aging process and teaches us that there's so much that we have to gain that we can look forward to and that we can use to enhance the second half of life.
0: You tell some wonderful stories in the book about people who are aging and their families. What are some of your favorite stories?
1: I work with so many fascinating people and so many inspiring people uh, that it's it's wonderful to carry around all these stories with me. Uh, I write about in the book uh there's two individuals I would highlight: one being someone that I know personally um who came to really wanting to improve uh, some feelings of depression and try to get out of a rut. And as I spent time with him, I learned that he had once been a really successful advertising photographer in New York in the 1970s, so much so that when he told me about one of the ad campaigns he photographed, I remembered it because I had actually uh, seen it when I was younger. And it was fascinating to see how... He really struggled with the fact that he hit a peak, and then as styles changed, he, he couldn't change with them, and so he had to make a number of changes in his life, uh, never to the point that he felt he had achieved before. And in working with them, I really was able to see both the deficits and the strengths that aging brings, deficits on the one side that things change, and it's, it's hard to change completely to adapt to the, to the times, uh, you know, we we can make change, but only to a certain degree. On the other hand, he was able to take the strength he had from before and do something new and something different. And, he's, and in fact, more recently, he's been working on a new approach to art using his photography and using some old letters that he had from a relationship. It's just fascinating to see something so new and so different and yet grounded in someone's past to be brought up. Now, this reminds me, this touches into a story I also relate in the book, about the artist Matisse because he was someone who had been an enormously successful artist and then in the 60s became seriously ill, had to have a major abdominal surgery and almost died and really couldn't paint. He couldn't work in the same way he had before, which involved standing and stretching and and painting on these huge canvases. For a while, he had to literally work art from Mm -hmm. his bed and so he had his assistant bring him these brilliantly covered sheets of paper. He'd take a scissors and cut out these interesting shapes, and he had her paste them on the wall and help arrange them. And he literally created a whole new art form, um, uh, created of these beautiful, vivid, colorful shapes that formed a, a greater image. Um, if you look at fashion advertising, So many areas of art that use these bold colors, a lot of it comes from Matisse. And so, again, he also, like my, my friend, was able to take what was best from his past, what he was anchored in, and yet change and do something different and new. And he was able to do that because of aging. In fact, he even said later that, you know, what he was doing now, he never would have had the courage or ability to do when he was young. He said, I finally have been able to say what I really want to say. And so in, in these situations, you can see aging provided the abilities, the strengths, the gifts that individuals were able to get out of certain adverse situations, out of certain ruts, do something new and different, and really give themselves new meaning and joy, and, and people around them as well.
0: Let's talk about creative aging. Sure. So this
1: term is something... That I get from Gene Cohen, who was a really remarkable geriatric psychiatrist, uh, innovator, just a remarkable person, a, a mentor for me as well. And, and as he worked in the field of psychiatry and really was one of the founders of working with uh, of older working with older people, he made the point that creativity is such an important part of life whether it's in the arts, whether it's in problem solving, whether it's in working across the generations. But this creativity not only gives us so much meaning in our lives and so much purpose, but it's something that doesn't go away when we get older with many people quite the contrary. It increases, it changes, it deepens with age. If you look at most theories of aging, it says, well, we're able to survive, we're able to thrive. We're able to do things in spite of aging. If we can maintain health, if we can maintain activities, it's it's sort of trying to survive against the storm is how so many theories look at aging. Gene Cohen looked at it in in a very different way because he made the point that it's not that we're surviving the face of a storm. It's that we are growing and changing, developing because of these, this force of aging. So he took a very different approach to it. And this is what I call creative aging because it to me represents a new way of looking at the aging process, Uh, realizing that we have, you know, we're living so many more years and we have so many abilities that we can really make a difference in our lives and other people. It's not just about, you know, tying things up and wrapping up and sliding into, you know, the end for us, it gives us a whole different perspective on what aging is all about.
0: What What are age points?
1: From working as a therapist with people for so many years, what I've seen is that we hit difficult situations, crises, challenges, And we're really forced to make a decision. Either we're going to retreat or, uh, you know, go into some sort of rigid approach to it, or we're going to respond and grow and change because of it. Not unlike what happens when we're younger. We have these developmental milestones when we learn to walk, we learn to um, go to school, to do math for the first time, you know, to have relationships. And we refer to these as developmental milestones because they really herald our growth and development. That doesn't change once we become adults. We continue to face situations that really challenge us and that we have the opportunity to work around. And so I, I refer this to as an age point because to me, even though it can be a very challenging, it reveals a gap between what we know, what we can do, and what we are unable to do or understand or cope with in the moment. And the way in which we bridge that gap over time is what really allows us to grow and change as individuals. So a good example would be retirement. Someone has pursued a certain career their whole life, and now they retire. And sometimes people find themselves completely at a loss because they no longer have the role that gave them purpose and meaning and, and kept them busy during the day. And for some people, it's a crisis. And so I talk about how you know the first part of an age point sometimes is this sense of of shock and paralysis that that we sometimes don't know what to do and we're really struggling. And then we go through a a period in which we try out different ideas and thoughts and and wrestle with it. Um, We don't know what we want to conclude at the moment, but that process of working it through forces us to to really stretch how we think about things, how we approach things, and eventually, and hopefully, we come to a resolution. Which is, in some ways, it's a new person. It's a new approach. Um, and so the person we are at the end of the age point is can be quite different from the person at the beginning. It's it's growth, it's development, and we learn new things. And again, aging is the engine here. Aging may be what set the circumstances for what we face, but at the same time, aging becomes the solution by helping us work through this and teach it. And the And the critical thing here is we have all the added experience and perspective and understandings, what we can call wisdom, that we didn't have when we were younger. So again, here, aging becomes a solution to what can appear to be a very, very difficult problem.
0: Let's talk about action plans.
1: Sure. For many people as they age, they may hit age points that they feel are just insurmountable. They can't get around it. They can't change. These can be small and large things. So a good example would be uh, I was meeting with someone the other day, and uh he absolutely refuses to use any sort of smartphone, and he said that i there's no way I can understand it. I can't deal with it. it's you know that's for my kids and grandchildren now, there's no question if you look at what this person's able to do in their abilities and experience, they can use a smartphone, but they've decided for them you know call this an age point where they've you know the technology that that is out there that could really make a difference they just don't feel they have the capability of doing it they've kind of given up um so for me i wanted to really focus on an action plan to get someone around something like that and that's something small but it could be someone who uh lost a spouse and just doesn't feel they can really engage with any other relationships whether it's romantic or just in terms of new friendships. So, you know, again, it can be small or large things. And in the action plan, what I tell people is you have to begin by taking stock of what you've accomplished, your reserve, your abilities, your assets, similar to how someone might look at their financial portfolio. If you hit a financial crisis, what's the first thing you need to do? You need to take stock of you know, what's your cash reserve? What do you have saved for retirement? What's your insurance? In this case, you have to take stock of. What are your abilities? What are your interests? What are your experiences? So that's the first step. The second step is look at how you've done it before, how you've been resilient before. And this is often a part of both problem-solving therapy and life review, which are two forms of psychotherapy that we do. But you look at how you've done it before because you can rely on those strengths, but sometimes you have to really realize that you have those strengths in the first place. Third, realize that you can make changes. There's ways to renew things from the past, but maybe in a different way, and reinvent yourselves. You know, the the way, for instance, I talk about Matisse had to do a new type of art. So he was able to use all the strengths and abilities he had, but he had to also let go of some of his old approaches and and do it in a different way. And uh, think about... What do you want to leave for your children, grandchildren, nieces, nephews, community, whoever is important to you? What do you want your legacy to be? Because that can give you a direction and a motivation. And finally, I emphasize in the action plan, take time to celebrate and honor your aging self and the transitions you've gone through. It's important to do that. We have so many ways to celebrate and ritualize transitions early in life, whether it's birthdays or uh, you know baptism, uh, bar mitzvah uh, you know weddings we need to do the same in later life as well because those rituals and those celebrations help us mark the importance of these changes of life that also give us a value and meaning as as human beings so that 's the basic approach that I give in the book and it and it it really echoes what I do both as a therapist with older people but also just as, as a member of a family, as a member of a community as well when I uh, work with people and, or if I need to uh, help myself.
0: In researching and writing the book, has this changed your paradigm on thinking about aging, your aging in particular?
1: That's a really great question, and I have to say that in the work I do, I see people in some of the most difficult and desperate situations. People don't come to a geriatric psychiatrist because they're doing well, and sometimes they come in with situations that seem absolutely tragic and uh, really without resolution. And I challenge myself in those situations. At the same time, I'm, they're, they're difficult and frightening. To be frank because one thing we have in common with everyone is we're all going to age we all are going to face these changes and i want to take the approach that there's always something we can do to help improve the situation or at the end of the day to care for someone there's such a focus now on long-term care the the field in which i work with end-of-life care hospice care and we've really transformed the experience for so many people of what can be difficult and tragic in the last few days, weeks, or months of their life. And something that can be more comfortable and meaningful. And I think that's wonderful. But what I say to myself is, well, Hey, there are years if not decades before we get to the point where we need to put the same efforts in and we need to transform the aging process. And reflecting back on my own experiences, I found that I'm trying to work out ways and solutions as much for myself and my family as for people I work with in my community. So it stems from that, and it it also translates into larger projects that I'm working on. So, for instance, where I work at at Miami Jewish Health, we are building – what will be the first village in the country for, for people with Alzheimer's disease and other forms of dementia? So we can actually create an environment in which they can, uh, we can leverage their strengths at the same time we're caring for their their needs and their disabilities. It stems from the same philosophy that we simply cannot give up on, on people. We need to look for ways to make the situation better. But that starts with taking an attitude that's both positive and hopeful. If we don't have that perspective on aging, if we only look at aging as something negative, as, as a disease or a time of decline, we certainly will, have, will not have the motivation or, or the uh, creativity, the imagination to try to make things better.
0: What would you say is the most important piece of advice you'd like to share with family caregivers?
1: The situation can be difficult, trying, tragic, and seem that it can appear that there's no solution, but always keep in mind that there are always ways to improve it you You have to have some degree of of a positive, hopeful approach in order to Make the best of the situation, and sometimes even transcend what the experience has been for you um, and I find that when caregivers are able to do that they they become different people and i i would I would point to something that I myself learned recently when i s when I always speak of the caregiving process i I tend to focus on the struggle and the burden of it and really look at how, and we know this from data, that caregivers in general tend to face high rates of depression and medical issues, even, even mortality. But there's a growing body of literature, and I and I see this in my own work. Some people thrive on caregiving because they're able to get great meaning out of it, and they're able to realize that, that this is part of life in general, it's part of their life, and they have a decision they they make they can either withdraw from it or retreat or only look at the negative and the tragedy or they can realize that you know this is part of their duty in life this is part of their their mission their destiny for some people and they can embrace it certain caregivers uh they really thrive on this it really gives them meaning and again, it's, it's not necessarily something that they would have wanted or they would choose. But it, it just tells us there's the potential for us to make the situation better. And when we do that, we really make a statement to ourselves and our our loved ones and our community about the value of human beings. Ultimately, that's really what we show, that we always will care for one another and value one another. and And that makes our lives in the world a much better place.
0: Thank you, Dr. Gronin. I really appreciate your time. The book is terrific.
1: I, I want to thank you. The work you do is so important. You represent this this wonderful, positive, humane approach to caregiving. It does so much good for so many people that it's
0: really it's my honor to be able to um, talk to you about this and impart any words.